I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can't make a tomlet without breaking some Greggs. This is Pop Culture. You are indeed listening to Flop Culture, a podcast where we mainly talk about flops, but we also talk bops, hot goss, pop culture at large, and sometimes we get to ask celebs about their favourite flops. I'm Fanula Jones. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode on Miami Vice with the lovely Peter McGann. Unfortunately, our boy Colin Farrell didn't nab the award in the end. Best Actor went to Brendan Fraser for The Whale at the Oscars. So Dave Hanrady was right and Peter was wrong. I know he'll do it eventually though. We love you, Colin. Love you so much. And always, always an open slot on Flop Culture to come and talk about uh, your favourite terrible movie if you ever want to. But speaking of the Oscars, let's get into some news. Tom Cruise apparently skipped the Oscars because he lives in fear of Nicole Kidman as he should. Uh, People thought he was going to show up potentially because Top Gun Maverick, the Top Gun sequel, was nominated for Best Picture. And there was lots of chatter prior to the Oscars, like he was at an Oscars luncheon last month. Side note, what is the difference between a luncheon and a lunch? Are we just adding eons to it? Dinner eons? Breakfast eons? Is it just a fancier lunch? Or is it just, like, is it just lunch? Anyway, on the night, he was nowhere to be seen. He was not behind the scenes, furiously wiping off Gaga's makeup uh, for her performance. He was not there, confirmed. Um, but there's been reports this week that he didn't go because he didn't want to run into his ex-wife, Nicole Kidman. And honestly, can't blame him. I'd be quaking too. Have you seen that photo of her leaving her attorney's office when their divorce was finally settled? That's a woman with power. That is a woman who, in that moment in time, probably could have walked on the sun and would have endured no damage. So, yeah. Fair play, Tommy. I think you made the right call there. Tell you what he didn't skip, though. Michael Caine's 90th birthday, which appears to be held in what looked like a function room in a jury's inn and which boasted such entertainment as Denise Welch from Loose Women doing stand-up for some reason. Take a listen. And only the other morning, she 
she said she heard a scream from downstairs and it was Michael shouting, Shakira, look, there's a parcel, me Olympic condoms have come. He said, I'm going to wear the gold one tonight and she said, well, why not wear the silver and come fucking second for a chance? Anyway. Yeah, that clip is on her Instagram and honestly, it looks like she could be at any 90-year-old's birthday party, only short of them like serving up jelly and ice cream until the camera pans and it's just Michael Caine and Tom Cruise. And if ever there was uh, proof that the simulation is glitching at all points, it's that. It's 100% that. Elsewhere, Lindsay Lohan is mother. Literally, uh, she's expecting her first child with husband, but Air Shamas announcing the news on social media. Lone said, We are blessed and excited, which is exactly what I said after my communion, knowing how many envelopes I could expect at home. Chiching. Credit union. Love to see it. Lovely news, obviously, of course. Uh, we love Lindsay Lohan. We're always, we're always rooting for the comeback, always rooting for like nice personal news for celebs that got a raw deal in the press. But I saw a celebrity member at book club posed the question on their own social media around the timing and whether the timing of the announcement has anything to do with Paris Hilton's memoir coming out this week uh, in case there's any bad press or potentially they're familiar with maybe some not-so-great anecdotes in the memoir about Lindsay. I have not read the book yet. It's out now at time of recording and time of release. Um, So let me know if there are any potentially not-so-great Lilo stories in the book. We'll see. We um we shall see. And then finally, Liam Neeson is starring in his 100th movie, which I got to see this week. Marlowe sees him reunite with director Neil Jordan for the fourth time and become iconic detective Philip Marlowe, embroiled in an investigation where all is not what it seems. And I got to catch up with Liam to hear more about the film and ask him about his favourite flop of his own. Kind of. Enjoy. <laughs> Liam Neeson, a pleasure to speak to you. And I want to ask you, why Philip Marlowe? Why that character? What was your response when that script landed in your lap? Well, let me put it this way. I'm an avid reader, have been for many, many years. And strangely enough, the one author I never read was Raymond Chandler. So when this project came up, and it was a chance to work with Neil Jordan again, he's a friend... I've known Neil since the late 80s, 1980s. This is our fourth film. I, I wanted to jump at it, so I knew it was going to be something of quality. I started reading Philip Marlowe and uh, eventually read the script and thought, this is good. I have big shoes to fill after Elliot Gould. Uh, my God, Bogart. Some wonderful actors have played it in the past, you know. But I thought I had enough maturity and experience to take it on, you know. I think so, a hundredth film. I think that uh, that stands to reason. Um, let's talk about, you know, working with Neil Jordan again. What was that like? Great. Yeah, this is, this is our fourth film. And uh, uh, I think at this stage we have a kind of a shorthand language, you know. There's no big, heavy discussions about 
the methodology of stuff or we just, I can tell when Neil comes from behind a monitor, if he's chewing the inside of his cheek, I know <laughs> the scene's maybe not going the way it should or one of us should speak faster or slower, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Philip Marlowe, an iconic character, and I know you've been speaking recently about being in conversation about potentially playing another iconic character at one point in your life, James Bond, which I thought was very interesting. But that got me thinking, is there any other character that you haven't played, that fictional character, I should say, that you'd love to have a crack at? Yes. Can you tell me? Is it a secret? No. (laughs) It's way before your time these corny films called Naked Gun. Okay. There was a wonderful actor, heavy actor. I don't mean heavy weight-wise. He was always a heavy in movies called Leslie Nielsen, who played this dumbass detective. He was hilariously funny. The films were very, very successful. They made about three or four of them. Anyway, Mm -hmm. they're going to reboot those. Okay. And they've offered me the part of Leslie Nielsen, so it'll be either the end of my career or a different avenue. You know? <laughs> so we're going to shoot it sometime this year. That's very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Uh, my podcast is all about reevaluating kind of past works within culture that maybe weren't received very favorably at the time. Um, so I was wondering, as this is your 100th film, is there a project that you've ever worked on that you'd kind of love to get back in front of people and kind of get people to maybe? Give it another chance, something that you're still really proud of? That uh, I wish they would see again? Yeah. Or remake again? That they would see again and kind of appreciate something that you're still really proud of, but maybe, you know, those pesky critics maybe had some things to say at the time. I don't read the critics, I'll be very honest with you, but um, um, that's a really good question. Um, I'll take that. I'm I'm very proud of I'm very proud of Michael Collins uh, for many many reasons. I know he's still highly controversial in certain circles in the world, in British circles especially. But he was one of the founding fathers of the modern Irish Republic, and I hope I would like to think the film has been shown at schools and universities. You know, because everything that happened in the film happens in real life, you know. Uh, Neil's very proud of that film. I am too. It took a long time to get the money together to make it because there was still a war going on in the north of Ireland, you know. But they made it, and uh, I was very honoured and proud to be part of it. And Alan Rickman, Stephen Ray, Aidan Quinn, you know, extraordinary cast, Julia Roberts. I think it's a really good film, and I think it's important our young people learn something of the history of our country, you know? Absolutely. Liam, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank oh, you so too. much for chatting to me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Liam. So there you go. You can see Marlow in cinemas or on Sky Cinema on March 17th, aka St. Patrick's Day, which is very apt. There's a great uh, Irish contingent in this movie. And then on Michael Collins, what do you think? Were people too hard on it? Let me know. HelloFlapCulture at gmail.com or get in touch on social media at FlapCulture underscore pod. Now, on the topic of flaps, let's talk about this week's one. June 3rd, 2018. The day the world would change for annoying people forever. As that is the date that the TV show Succession first premiered. 
Heading into its fourth and final season this month, on March 26th in America, we get it the next day, the show follows the Roy family as they attempt to wrangle control over their father's media empire. It's achieved widespread critical acclaim and made household names of its cast, but the two people who have dominated the conversation since the show's third season are Brian Cox, who plays patriarch Logan Roy, and Jeremy Strong, playing the eldest, tortured, incapable son, Kendall Roy. As fractured as their relationship is on the show, it's their real-life jabs that are making all the headlines this year, which begs the question, just how method are they going ahead of this new season? Joining me to discuss the relationship between Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong is political correspondent Owen Keane. Owen, what a pleasure it is to have you on Slap Culture. We finally made it. We finally <laughs> made it here at last. It was a bit of a journey, but uh, yeah, I finally, I'm, I'm here. Because we were, because we were originally going to do Liz Truss, whose name I was struggling to remember on the way in here. I was like <laughs> Nicholas Sturgeon, no, not Nicholas Nicholas Sturgeon with a different haircut, no, fully a different woman. We were going to do her, and then she didn't even last long enough to like really flop. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> that was the thing. I, I picked Liz Truss because, as I said, she cured my imposter syndrome because I was like, <laughs> if Liz Truss can become the Prime Minister of the UK, anyone can do anything. But then she got deposed by a head of lettuce. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, and then there was a few other ones. I mean, uh, this is <laughs> being a guest on this podcast has taken over my life because I'm literally going through um, like day to day things and being like, "Flop, that's a flop." I could, I could, like, I think that is a flop. Uh, but I, can, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> everything I was suggesting, I could see that you were being very, very nice, um, <laughs> and you were like, "That's a really good idea, Owen. Keep, 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 keep it going." Like, as, like a junior infants teacher, but I didn't really get it. But. No, my fave one was that <laughs> random woman from Sex in the City who I will insert a clip here for anyone who's like she falls through a window at some point. I'm not okay with Sex in the City, but I was yes. just like, "Cool, okay, maybe something that we could talk about for." More than longer than well, I two and a half minutes. I could talk about that for a, a literally ten minutes. I could do like a monologue. <laughs> um, it's the most amazing episode of Sex and City ever, and it's called Splash. So instead of flop, I was like, it's Splat of the Week. There you go. She just um, follow her window. I will. I will link it below. Now, our hostess has already said there's no smoking. Why did everybody stop smoking? Why did everybody pair off? This used to be the most exciting city in the world, and now it's nothing but smoking near a fucking open window. New York is over. O-V-E-R. Over. No one's fun anymore. Whatever happened to fun? God, I'm so bored I could die. Whoa. We are going to talk about um, another titan of television, what yes. did you end up picking for your flop? So the, my, the flop I've picked, and I do hope that this, this fits the criteria, um, is Jeremy Strong, mm-hmm. who of course is from Succession. He plays Kendall Roy in Succession. And, and the flop is his relationship with all his co-stars. But in particular, Brian Cox, who plays um, his father, Logan. I think it's a perfect flop because seeing this relationship like further deteriorate in the press, it it soothes me. And in ways, very similar to Sex and the City, like I'm seeing Kim Cattrall, like Sarah Jessica Parker parallels in terms of them maybe being a bit cross with each other. So give us a bit of background on how this even started for anyone who's unfamiliar because I know every nook and cranny of the story because I am chronically online. Yes, of course, as am I. But I mean, Succession, I think, would is the biggest TV show of the last few years. Mm. And I think you and I are both obsessed with it, I think. If anyone's listening and you haven't watched, you get a life. Get a life! 
and just not even we're going into the fourth season just watch it like it won't even take that long of work sit down it's on now TV I think um, just sit down and watch it it's, it's, it's amazing it's like I think I was, it was described in one of the profiles that I uh, was re- using as my re- research as kind of King Lear for the media industrial complex and that's mm. very what it is and it's kind of based on like Rupert Murdoch who's obviously owns like the Times and Fox News and all these things who is this patriarchal figure who has his children and he's trying to decide who will succeed him if any of them are capable of the job which does sound like a bit of a boring premise but I mean it's very very funny there's a load of load of pop culture references mm. that are just excellent there's a load of characters that are just so funny and so refreshing to see on TV because they're people that you would never normally see, including Kendall Roy, who's played by this guy, Jeremy Strong, who I know that that name mightn't ring a bell, but if you saw a picture of him, you'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I know that guy, because Mm. he's been in the background of so many films um, and now he's kind of finally becoming his Star is Born moment, I guess, was this for uh, for Kendall Roy, which he's won an Emmy for, um, and he actually beat his... Uh, Brian Cox, who plays his father, who is this the King Lear character, the Rupert Murdoch, Logan Roy, Logan Roy, yeah, and and I I think it is kind of funny. Like if you watch the TV show, you understand that they have a very storied relationship. Let's say, like I mean, it's very clear that they don't always get on, but they're almost a bit like there's it's almost a parasitic relationship. But he really depends on his father's love. His father is very withholding of that. Um, but then to see it like to play out. what appears to be in real life that they don't get on is just so fascinating to me Um, and there was another recent profile of Jeremy Strong I do love a good profile in a magazine I always find them to be so interesting I love a good profile because this did all kick off with the kind of main profile that you're referencing it was the New Yorker yes the end of 2021 Michael Shulman wrote it uh, and it was on Jeremy Strong and it was the title, I um, will correct this if I'm wrong, in post, but it's on succession, Jeremy Strong doesn't get the joke. And it's this very, like, it is a great profile, right? Yes. And we'll, we can talk about interpretations of it or whatever. But in it, he's essentially going through how he approaches acting. Uh, some would consider it to be method acting. Like, he's very into it. He doesn't describe it as that. He describes it as something called identity dissolution, I think, which is, again, roll your eyes, it's fine. Everyone can roll their eyes. Um, It's identity diffusion, not identity dissolution. Carry on. He's, like, I think the one thing that jumped out for me was he's in this movie called Trial of uh, the Chicago 7 and he's talking about it in uh, this profile. Or I don't even think he's talking about it, but I think Michael Shulman goes back and, like, Mm tries to talk to Aaron Sorkin, the director, and he's like, hears about these stories from on set. And at one point, Jeremy is so into the character that he wants to be like pepper sprayed, I think, or like tear gassed. Sorry, he wants to be tear gassed to like fully (laughs) immerse himself into the story, right? But but there's other examples. I will never do it justice talking about it. You need to just go read this profile, right? But this profile has this huge reaction like you have people jumping to defend him because initially the internet's reaction is like what the fuck is wrong with this mm-hmm. man is he okay he just seems so intense you have Anne Hathaway comes out his co-star in Armageddon Time and defending him Jessica Chastain uh, Aaron, Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin I think says something and then they the New Yorker ends up like responding to Aaron Sorkin coming out they said this is a nuanced multi-sided portrait of an extremely dedicated actor it has inspired a range of reactions from people including many who say that they are even more impressed by Jeremy Strong's artistry after having read the article. What what was your what was your first reaction? Oh, upon reading that yeah. profile. I mean, I think my reaction was very similar to what Brian Cox's reaction was, where he described it as fucking annoying. <laughs> 
<laughs> which I just think is the funniest way to dismiss. I mean, obviously, Jeremy Strong has poured himself out to this writer from The New Yorker and gone into so much detail about his craft and how he comes on set as Kendall Roy, as this tortured person. And then to have his co-worker just dismiss it as being like, just shut up and just do your job. Like, you're an actor, act. Um, I just, I mean, anyone... If anyone was to read that, you you would think that this is a bit unhinged, mm. the way that he just approaches it. And especially when he plays ca- characters that are very, as I say, flawed and dark. I mean, Kendall Roy is very, very troubled. He has addiction issues. There's like a whole thing. Did he, he falls into a pool at some point. Um, there's also, there's obviously what happens at the wedding. I don't want to give any spoilers away in case anyone wants to watch Succession and it's really worth it. But there are a number of things, a lot of shit goes down basically mm. for Kendall Roy. And then like, if I was working with somebody who was taking, it was acting as if that was their daily life, I would feel a bit like threatened almost, you know? It's just, it is insane to see someone throw themselves into their um, act like that. And I don't know, like, do we, do we like when actors do that? Or do we always kind of say, maybe we as Irish people be like, geez, that's a bit, that's a bit much, you know? Like, you <laughs> would, know? You, would you look at your man there now yeah. and he won't stop wearing the, the, the yeah. birthday chain? Like, it's like, okay, exactly. okay, babe. It is, look, I'd never pretend that I could get it because it's mm. not my field. You have people who, you have the Daniel J. Lewis's who clearly do it and like it works and it translates. And maybe it's just that we know so little yeah. about that. And maybe the issue was that, <laughs> like Jeremy did kind of bear his soul and like clearly enjoys doing that but then obviously didn't like the repercussions of this profile which we'll talk about like Mm. he really struggled with that but at the same time I kind of have to admire the fact that it's not a pretense like this is who he is like any other interview he's done since (laughs) he speaks in the exact same way about about everything Mm -hmm. like it's just so laboured but and the uh, but at the same time I can understand I'd imagine working with him and like that profile they interview his co-stars and as you said they interview Brian Cox and in that interview uh, in that specific profile I should say Brian Cox is a little bit softer on him and it kind of seems to come from a place of like concern like I think is yes he said like obviously Strong is able to get these pretty tremendous results from going method or not method whatever you want to call it but he also said I just worry about what he does to himself I worry about the crises he puts himself through in order to prepare And I can understand from Cox's perspective as well, like this is, he's 76 years old, he's an award-winning actor, he's kind of having this third, fourth wind as Mm -hmm. an actor with this show succession, playing Logan. I can imagine there's a part of you that's like, it's a bit frustrating to watch someone like Jeremy come in and like, he won't talk to any of them, like he's separated off in the trailer, like he's really, he makes a real effort to divide himself away from the cast. I can understand why you'd be a bit like, can we not now, please? Exactly. Can we just can we just do our jobs? Can we, can we not let's sit back and appreciate the fact that you're on the biggest show in the world that's picking up Emmys left, right and centre. You have this incredible opportunity to work with this incredible cast and you're holding yourself off in your trailer and like ignoring everyone. But I did find it interesting because I went back and I read, reread that New Yorker article and mm. in, like it says at the very start, it's, it says three actors that Jeremy Strong had on his wall growing up and one of them was um, Dustin Hoffman in his character in Rain Man. Now, I mean, I'm not really sure... In Ray Manny played an autistic savant, so I'm not really sure if we should. Maybe the looking back on that film, it mightn't be, uh, it might be the most politically correct mm. of films to have on your wall. But I remember I found it funny that it mentioned Dustin Hoffman because he, in a very similar dynamic, he was this young American actor, and he was doing a film with Laurence Olivier, who was like that you know titan of British stage and screen and whatever. Um, I think it was called Marathon Man. It was about somebody who was caught smuggling drugs, if I'm not, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and in one scene, Dustin Hoffman 
had to act exhausted. So he stayed up for three hour, three days and three nights and he arrived in to, to do the scene and Laurence Olivier was like, have you ever tried acting, dear boy? And I was just like, this is literally what's happening <laughs> again. Like Brian Cox is just, as you say, has gone through this amazing career, is having his, you know, third or fourth renaissance, I guess. Mm. And he kind of, he obviously gets it. And he's like, why are you putting yourself through so much strife? Like, it's just, it's just not worth it. And like, as actually in the GQ article, which is the second pro- profile of Jeremy Strong that's come out, um, and I was very scathing. I was like, well, do we really need another one? I, we, yes, we do need another profile. Um, but the writer says, it must be so hard to care so much about everything in life. And like, that's, I mean, imagine if asking Jeremy Strong what he wants to eat. Like, mm. and he'd just be like, really think about it. Or, you know, it's just, it must be so exhausting you for his wife. You could not bring him out. Imagine trying to pick a restaurant uh, or something off a menu and uh, he's just like, oh, uh, um, no, yeah, I can't, your, your impression is better than mine. <laughs> but I am, I am so endeared to him at the same time. Like, I'm you? up, I'm terrified that I'll ever, this is very probably egomaniac of me, but I'm very <laughs> afraid that I'll ever get the chance to interview him and I feel like he will have seen my TikToks. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I feel like in the sense, and I didn't, my TikToks aren't mean. I will, again, I will link them below in the show notes if anyone wants to watch them, but I feel like he also, so probably went through such a spiral after that profile that I'd say he was actively searching his name everywhere, everywhere. or like someone sent them to him and I'm like he's we're, we're going to meet somewhere on a red carpet and he's going to be Skyping into six o'clock show he's definitely not going to be and I'm going to be there like <laughs> hi hi Jess we need You're to right. set we need to set that up we need to get Vanuda J and Jeremy Strong in the one room and then he can be like, oh I saw your TikToks <laughs> Uh, and he just was, a single tear just rolls down his face oh yeah. my god I can't deal he's so but he, uh, yeah I don't know I think he, uh, would he even agree to do a red carpet I mean or would he you know it, would that be part of his of his process I kind of feel as if he's just he's getting very annoying now and this is something that, that happens whenever an actor gets really big and it's, maybe it's a reflection of us as a society but they get oversaturated and we get very annoyed with them mm. and then eventually then we kind of like, throw them out and then they have to you know go back in the wilderness for a few years and then we'll be ready to accept them again. But maybe some like Austin Butler is going to come. Like Austin Butler is still doing the Elvis voice. No, that that drives me crazy. I'm I like, can't. He's, like he's, and he's just so he fully. Still? That's bad method. Him being like, and he's fully in denial about it. He's just and everyone else is around, like pandering to him. I'm yes. like, just oh, it's so it's so frustrating to me. I'm like, what an amazing performance as Elvis. I was like, he's doing a voice and he's still doing it. <laughs> You're all falling for the stupidest publicity stunt ever. I'm like, uh, justice for Vanessa Hudgens, anyway. Oh, that's, we, uh, we here at Flap Culture take a pro <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens down, let me tell you. We are always... That's the only reason I did this podcast. Yeah, we are always playing Sneaker Night. Basically, what we're going to do is dance. Um, <laughs> so then you mentioned this uh, British GQ profile that Jeremy did. So Brian Cox had actually did this other interview prior to that. It was with Town and Country, I think, where again, he kind of doubled down yeah. on basically thinking that his method is a bit nuts. He said, he's a very good actor, obviously referring to Jeremy Strong and the rest of the ensemble is all okay with this, uh, uh, referring to him. (laughs) him. I'm not. Yeah, (laughs) seems like it. But knowing a character and what the character does is only part of the skill set. It's fucking annoying. Don't get me going on it. (laughs) And then in the same interview, he brings up this YouTube video from 2009 where he's teaching a toddler the to be or not to be soliloquy. And he says, There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Is there something in the little boy that is able to convey the character? It's just there and is accessible. It's not a big fucking religious experience, right? Oh my God. Then Jeremy is interviewed for British GQ, right? And is obviously like asked about it. So he says, everyone's entitled to have their feelings. I also think Brian Cox, for example, he's earned the right to say whatever the fuck he wants. There was no need to address that or do damage control. I feel a lot of love for my siblings and my father on the show. And it is like a family in the sense that, and I'm sure they would say this too, you don't always like the people that you love. I do always respect, respect them. I saw that Brian Cox also said in a follow-up interview that there's a certain amount of pain at the root of Jeremy. And I just feel for that pain. You know, I don't think so. I don't think there is. There's certainly a lot of pain in Kendall. And <laughs> I haven't really defensive. met I haven't really met Brian outside of the confines of that, which is like Insane. That's insane to me. It's like it, well, maybe this is all a ruse and maybe Jeremy's going out. But to... I was okay, but I was gonna ask you that. So obviously, again, spoilers, whatever. Assuming if you're still here, you you've caught up at this point on succession, right? <laughs> yeah, you've paused but, this podcast, but like, watch the three seasons. But this isn't a massive spoiler, I suppose, but you're going into season four. There are, none of the children are getting along with Rogan for for with Logan for reasons that will become clear mm-hmm. if you're still catching up, right? So like is this this all is this all publicity? I wonder because I mean it does intrigue anyone who's like, who's heard of the show. You're like, wow! I really want to see what the dynamic is like when the two of them are on screen together. Is the evident hatred? I mean, they can say all the nice things that they that they can about about each other, but it's clear that they don't get on. Mm. It's clear that Logan or Logan, I'm mixing them up, real life and uh, fiction, or uh, but that Brian Cox finds Jeremy to be very intense and that annoys him. And is very happy to avoid him, but like, and it does kind of come across on screen. In like, the scenes between them are just so good, though. I mean, I really have to stress how amazing Succession is. So maybe, maybe this is the be- this uh, is this a publicity stunt. Maybe this is all about you know generating uh, attention, and we've all fallen for it. But I've happily fallen for it. Yeah, like there's a part of me that thinks it could be true but then the cynical part of me is like Brian Cox is not signing up to do no fucking publicity stunt. You know what I mean? And then in the yes. same way. Neither is Jeremy because he takes everything so seriously. Like he didn't, when he did that New Yorker piece, he didn't set out to have that reaction at all. And he was like semi-horrified by it. And he couldn't, he said he found it like, I think he called it a betrayal was the word he used. But I found it interesting because he's, so he speaks about, so I know we're going back and forward between the two profiles here, but in the most recent one, he talks about how, as you said, the New Yorker profile affected him, how it was a betrayal. Mm -hmm. Uh, in this one, he talks about like where he comes, where he came from, and how he felt so out of place in a number of places growing up. When he moved to like a very wealthy suburb, but his family wasn't so wealthy. When he went to Yale, and he like maybe wasn't as smart and didn't have all the references, he wasn't able to quote literature as freely as perhaps his other peers were. Uh, and now he makes a real effort. I mean, it goes through all the different people that he that he quoted or like these poets, re- authors that he referenced in 
uh, in the interview again sounds exhausting to have listened to him he's going mm. from Dostoevsky to talking about like I don't know uh, the Beastie Boys but um, <laughs> like I mean imagine you just you, you, I don't know I'll move on but um, he does say that he it brought him back to his Yale days when he um, when he saw that 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 profile and the criticism of his acting method uh, that it brought it back to it brought all the all that betrayal or, or embarrassment I guess mm. humiliation back to him because the writer of that profile was a former Yale student, um, and I guess when he says that there's no pain at Jeremy in the, at the root of Jeremy Strong, I don't believe him. Like I think that, that, yeah, that is just a lie. Like it's, it's it has just, to be. and I think, but I think it's okay. But then I don't know. But then I go back conspiracy theory thing where it's like, is he just in denial because he's like the son who is like we clearly love each other you know what I mean like obviously there's love there but like it's a difficult relationship you don't they always get don't on with your family they love each other they can't but, wait for this to be over but right? okay but do you think it's there's a part of me that would also believe that Brian Cox doesn't like love or hate Jeremy but he just hates Tolerates the way he him. goes on yeah, you yeah. know what I mean like I, I think he's actually really able to separate that and maybe Jeremy Strong uh, is not absolutely. as much absolutely it's like do you know the, the, there's that Mad Men you know that screen grab from one of the Mad Men episodes where, where the, uh, John, Ham, John Ham is like I don't think about you at all I don't all. think about you at all that's definitely the way that like that uh, Brian Cox just feels about mm. Jeremy Strong he's like okay you can do whatever the hell you want to do I'm going to show up do my lines get my check and go and hopefully pick up an Emmy at, at, on the, on the way out whereas Jeremy Strong is this guy who's like throwing himself in and it says it there that all his other co-stars have gone on they're all doing this, all these other projects they're capitalising on their f- newfound fame through succession whereas he's like you know focusing completely in this character like when does it stop when do you stop becoming an actor when do you like, when do you cross over to a psychopath yeah you know? yeah did you watch the video he did for British GQ where it was like mm-hmm. um so it's essentials for life. I think Paul Meskel did it recently as well, where they, it's like, you know, 10 oh, yeah. things you can't live without, whatever. Again, Jeremy. No, didn't... this is, it causes an, like a severe eye roll for me because <laughs> there's no way they pick what they actually need for life. But that's know? the thing as well. But he also was like, I didn't pick 10 things here. Like 15, 20 of the most precious, like basically things he's robbed from set and stuff and like things he's kept like moment. He has the letter he rips up at the end of season two. Amazing. Yeah, which like he has a lot of like, it was the video that kind of brought me around to him. Again, it's a lot of like kind of pretentious talk, but mm-hmm. in a way I don't think he's pretentious. But anyway, but he talks about, he has these sunglasses that are, that he got, and he got onto the designer because he thought they were perfect for Kendall, but they don't make them in that, in the colorway for that model or whatever. And he's talking about it and they have Kendall's initials on them. And he says that he also got a pair for himself, mm-hmm. but they also have Kendall's initials on them. And he, so, he, but he kind of makes a joke. Then, no, I'm what sorry. does he say? He makes a joke that so I do know where one ends and the other begins. Jacques Marie Maj, sunglasses, the best company making sunglasses right now. Jerome Maj, a Frenchman who lives in LA. I have been very deliberate about Kendall's sunglasses, and I'd worn some of his frames last year, and. I kind of sent up a flare and reached out to him and asked him if we could collaborate on something for this season. So he, his frames are made in Japan and, and he went there and I pitched him sort of the colorway that I liked and this old model that they didn't make anymore. He made me, well, he made Kendall these sunglasses and Kendall's initials, Kendall Logan Roy, KLR, are written on the inside. I have my pair, which also say KLR, and Kendall's pair. 
So I do know where one ends and where the other begins. Which people are also kind of interpreting. Now, you could say it's directly like a jab at Brian Cox, or is it a, around the further or the fuller discussion around him kind of being... Oh God, that kind of... That actually is a bit creepy, I think. I don't think... That... He's so into it that I'm just kind of... Like... Where does the... Yeah, where does the character stop and where does... I mean, is his personality completely subsumed by it? I don't know. I think it is with every... Ro- but then there's a part of me that's like, do you need to do that for acting? But then I suppose the obvious answer is no, because not being funny, you don't see... Colin Farrell's not still with Jenny the Donkey walking around. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. It's... Anthony Hopkins still isn't eating people's faces. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm just At some like, point, it's okay to stop. Yeah, exactly. Like, like when, like I don't know. I mean, it's this is, but it's working for him. He is one mm-hmm. of the biggest actors in 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 the world at the moment. And it's obvious that there's certain people who really appreciate what he does because as you said, you know, when this profile first came out, uh, there were so many people who came to his defence like Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain and all these co-workers who were like, what he does is amazing, etc. Maybe it's just them taking themselves a bit too seriously. And again, I think this is like maybe something as Irish people we can look at it and be kind of like, you know, look askew at it and be totally. like, Jesus, that's a bit but much, I, But it? I think it's also the yeah. thing of... Americans, at it again. Yeah. But I think it is also the thing of them taking themselves so seriously. And there's also a thing of like, I don't don't know why the gals came out and even said something like yeah. it's why because that just drew more attention to it you know what I mean like it was I don't know for him I'm just like I think maybe it wasn't the right call maybe to do that for him but, but anyway I'm sure watching, it. we're all going to be watching season 4 of Succession like I am going to I cannot wait for it okay like, well talk to me watch what do you think is happening this season? Because it is, it's been announced now that it is the final season. Yeah. So first of all, do you think that's a good or a bad thing? And then second of all, how do you think this season is going to play out? You know what? I think, actually think it's a good thing. Okay. I think it's, I think, I like when shows go out and they're on a high, you mm-hmm. know, and they, they don't feel as if it's like flogging a dead horse, that it's been done to death. You know, you don't feel as if they've jumped the shark, you know, as they say. Um, I think it's a very British way to look at it. And I think all this, like Jesse Armstrong is, is British mm. and the writers, I think it's, um, that's like a very mature way, I think, to to handle a good TV show. What is going to happen? I don't know. I always feel as if Logan's going to get the last laugh. Yeah, so I had seen that there were, and this isn't a spoiler, obviously, because it hasn't happened. Someone was on location where they were filming something mm-hmm. and they were filming like a funeral scene. And again, the obvious thing is like, Logan, yeah, but it's the obvious thing is like Logan's dead because he's 800 years old or whatever in the show, right? But then there's a part of me that's just like, that's too, that seems a bit too obvious. Yeah. So then I'm like, who else dies? Like it's... I mean, that would be an amazing twist for, for, for uh, as you say, we're recording this before we've seen the first episode. That would be such an amazing twist um, for for that to happen. But I mean, yeah, who, I mean, it's they're, they're, the possibilities are endless. The last episode of season three, I thought was like one of the, you know, some people like watch The Red Wedding and they used to film their reactions from Game of Thrones when everyone was getting killed mm. and they're all just like staring open mouthed at the screen. That was the way I was at the end of, of, the, of the final episode of season three, even though nobody dies. I thought I was going to be sick. I was, oh my God. God, I, you know the car journey there and they're like <laughs> or no and like he's given the again he's given the monologue and they're all sitting in the dust and they're all yeah, and, and, they're and all you can see it. them coming together and you're like yes. and then it's just it was amazing it's so, oh, it so dramatic and it's exactly what I love because I f- love drama yeah um, so it's just uh, yeah I can't wait for season season four who's your favourite Roy? Sh- uh, Shiv Shiv Supremacy She's just, and I'm, do you know what? I I am convinced that after season one, like, do you remember, like, it wasn't really that big here. And I'm not trying to say, like, oh, I, I, I knew it before it was famous, but I remember He some, was their first girl. Yeah, exactly. He watched him before we told him <laughs> on the bandwagon. Just saying, But I'm convinced that I saw Shiv, like, the actress, that Sarah Snook, isn't it? Yes. In The Black Door in Dublin. No way. Yes. She was Wayne. At, this is, like, right after season one when it had just come out and hadn't even, like, hit, like, um, like British or Irish TV. 
But I remember somebody had said it to me, so I, I was watching it. I was illegally downloading it. Um, and... Flop uh, culture does not endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> watch, watch it wherever you want. <laughs> Legally. Yeah. I'm joking, I'm joking. But anyway, so I I recognised her and she was at the bar and it, it looked just like her. So then I was like, right, okay. I was attempted to go over. I was like, will I go over? Will I not? Then I was like, no, okay, it's probably not her. Went on to her Instagram the following day and she was in the middle of a European tour. She just posted some things from like, like, like four days ago from Italy and France. And I was like, she's doing it. She was in Ireland. She I was can't in the Black believe door. you didn't talk because I say she would have loved that as exactly. well. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I am the flop yet yeah, again. Yeah. It's kind of flop behaviour, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned you'd mentioned when you said about doing this episode other kind of funny celebrity feuds, and there was one in particular that <laughs> I don't know how this is even related, but it does just make me laugh. And I'm sure for anyone who hasn't heard of it, I just want to give them a good laugh of a Thursday. So. Talk to me. Who else comes to mind when you think of well, this? Uh, this is it. I was thinking of you know classic feuds, and you know traditionally we'd go to you know there was that TV show with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, and I was like, no, what boring. we need boring, <laughs> boring yeah, flop. <laughs> um, what we need is that we need to do a feud series on Azealia Banks versus Aer Lingus because it's the funniest celebrity feud I've ever. <laughs> She had like a whole like I love when you go on you log onto Instagram and you see Azealia whenever she's not banned from Instagram and you see Azealia Banks has a lot of stories up and it's just like it's literally like a hundred and it's, she'll she'll write she'll she'll have written you know messages about who she wants to target and who she you know who she really hates <laughs> who she hates yeah, that day. Erlingus was the, was the particular one. I can't even remember what happened. I think she was going from the UK to Ireland. They lost their luggage. They wouldn't let her to her seat. She starts kicking up a fuss. Azealia Banks is of course this rapper who is very quick to I'm very quick to have a feud with basically anyone anyone yeah via social her own media. shadow probably yeah she said that Erlinga sounded like the name of an enema <laughs> <laughs> like <a> couple- <laughs> At one point she was like, then the Irish people do not deserve this. <laughs> Talk, again, talking about Aer Lingus. She made some, I, the, the comments that she makes are just the most outrageous. She started bringing up the, the potato famine. It was just insane. All over, like not being able to get to her seat on time. She started making comments about the staff as well, from what yes. I remember. Like, yeah. oh, is uh, very, Yeah, very derogatory comments towards the poor Aer Lingus um, the, uh, air stewardesses um, who I and I always this is I will always stand up for Aer Lingus uh, air stewardesses because once this is a very random tangent but once I lost my wallet on a flight and I was on Erasmus I was coming back from Toulouse lost my wallet okay. somehow on the flight bought a coffee couldn't find it then afterwards and the Aer Lingus stewardesses all did a whip around so I get my bus back to Clare so I'll never forget them for that that was the nicest thing ever Aer Lingus not a flop yeah exactly <laughs> no, despite what Azealia Banks says but um, <laughs> Azealia Banks is just as I say, she's one of my, and this is actually a reason why a reason why I'm kind of endeared toward to Jeremy Strong as well because I like when celebrities are a bit mental. Mm. Like Same. I like this when this interview came out, I was like, yeah, it is a bit nuts, but this is what I want from celebrities. Absolutely. I want them, I want them to take everything really seriously and be really literal. Like I hate, especially with you know the introduction of social media and them being able to control the narrative yes. way more in image. ways. It's just, and you're having celebrities like interview each other for magazines. That's boring. I yes. want you all to be a little, because if, if you're not nuts, then it's like, how are you even I famous? Want, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, I want to see Jeremy Strong hear a goose honk and say, let's follow that sound, <laughs> as he does in the GQ profile. Or I want him to see Oh my a, God, I forgot about yes. that moment. What is he? <laughs> what is the hell is going on? But like, I love, like, I love when Lady Gaga was like, she was talking about, you know, do you remember there was the whole January 6th when they stormed the Capitol in the US and then she, like two weeks later, Lady Gaga was performing at the inauguration I think she sang like the national anthem or whatever and then she did an interview afterwards where she was like I looked for clues 
Like the, the idea that Lady Gaga was just going on the Capitol being like, I bet I can, you know, I can find out exactly That House of Gucci press tour where she's like, yeah, oh, yes. I, do, I, I, I always support women. I do not endorse murder. <laughs> I have a good clip that I have saved my phone to use and I'll insert it here. I don't believe in the glorification of murder. I do believe in the empowerment of women. But I keep saying this as well. Imagine how unhinged she's going to be on the Joker too. It's going, it's going, to, be going to be insane. It's the only thing getting me to that cinema. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, as someone who has not watched the first one, probably never will, don't really care. I'm sure I'll pick up the plot. Yes. Whatever. You, absolutely. My bum will be in that seat and I will be... I yeah. will be eating good. Front row. Oh. Like, but this is the... Because remember the whole House of Gucci thing where Lady Gaga was on this insane press tour where she was like, she feared for her life in case the, the person that she was portraying showed up. She was like, we were in Italy. She could have showed up at any time. <laughs> and where she wrote a book. She wrote, an she wrote a biography of the person she was... <laughs> like, which no one else read. She just wrote it herself. Insane. But then she doesn't get an Oscar nomination. And I remember I saw a tweet saying, Lady Gaga not getting an Oscar nomination is her Joker moment. <laughs> then the next thing is, she's in the Joker movie. <laughs> she is the best celebrity ever like I just love oh. when they're unhinged when they're absolutely crazy that's that's exactly what I want and Azealia Banks is perfect for this because like I mean you go onto her Instagram and she has, she's she could be sacrificing a chicken and doing a voodoo dance she did that yeah I was about to say that it sounds like Owen's trying to lie he's not that <laughs> happened yeah. this that is, happened uh, imagine the craziest thing and Azealia Banks has done crazier or the feuds that she's been in I remember like if you look, go on to the Wikipedia page I think it's been changed now so some, maybe I think she's signed up to a new record label so maybe they're trying to soften her image a bit but it used to be like a full paragraph of all the celebrities that she's feuded with and it went like an alphabetical order. It's like, there's like, must be 40 names. And at the very end, and the nations of Sweden and Ireland. <laughs> and I was like, so amazing that this woman has feuded with nations, you know? And how do you fight with Sweden and Ireland? Like we're, again, we're pretty like polite, won't put up much of us. And Sweden, the nicest people ever, Exactly. Probably? One of my favourite countries. This oh, is insane. my God. Um, but she makes great music. She does. And I just, I really do wish she'd stick to that. But anyway. Yes. Anyway, neither yeah. here nor there. Um, it's been a pleasure do you think there's any chance of reconciliation between these two or is it I, and this when this show wraps is that it for them I think uh, I think definitely Brian Cox as you say is in his 70s he has he has lived a life he does not want to put up with any more of this BS from his co which, which he what he thinks is BS from his co-stars I think this is going I, I cannot wait to see what happens as in season 4 does Kendall Roy succeed Logan Roy does anyone succeed Logan Roy and then of course we're going to have them the two of them competing for all like the uh, the Emmys and the Golden Globes and it's going to like who's going to win the Emmy for the final season is it going to be Brian Cox you know the traditional actor uh, Kendall Roy or I keep mixing up their names and their he characters is Kendall names. Roy he so is it's Kendall fine. Roy yes Jeremy, Jeremy Strong, Strong the follower of the goose hunk yeah We'll see. Yeah, I'd love to get a good few speech moments, but I feel like, again, I'd, you'd oh. wonder if they'd ever say anything publicly. Probably not. Probably anyway, not. I love it. What is the tea? The girls are fighting. An apt <laughs> quote to go out on. Exactly. Uh, where can people follow you, find out more? Oh, God. Why would they? Well, if they want to. Uh, I'm well, you're on... very funny on Twitter, but you also do very important work in the political <laughs> sphere. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Plug it, babe. Plug whatever. <laughs> Unlike Jeremy Strong, I, I'm able to, uh, you know, to differentiate between my professional... He has a work-life professional... balance, girls. Yeah. <laughs> not to brag. Uh, so I'm Own Keen 101 on Twitter. So follow for, yeah, all the latest memes and your news, Oscar Wilke. There you go. Owen, an absolute pleasure Reminded. to have you on Flop Culture. You're more than welcome back at any time. <laughs> Thanks, Manula. Huge thanks to Owen for joining me. I'll leave all of his details below. Succession season four premieres on Sky Atlantic Monday, March 27th. And if you want to catch up on all seasons beforehand, you can do so on Now with an entertainment membership. 
I'm so excited. You have no idea. We will be talking about it. Maybe not every week, but we will certainly be talking about it uh, here. So come join me for that. Finally, who was top of the flops this week? You're a flop. Top of the flops this week is Netflix for pulling the plug on Nancy Meyers' rom-com. So she was working with Netflix on this new upcoming movie. I think the working title or the code name for it was Paris Paramount, right? And I really think this would have marked like this rom-com renaissance that I spoke about with Robin a couple of episodes back. But the movie was getting too expensive for Netflix. So Nancy wanted a budget of $150 million. Netflix said, we're not going over $130 million. This would have been her first movie in almost a decade directing. The last movie she did was The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, iconically. Uh, it would have been the most expensive romantic comedy of all time in terms of names that we were looking at. Scarlett Johansson, Penelope Cruz, Michael Fassbender, Owen Wilson, all looking at roles. But Netflix said, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth the money. Which I find hard to believe. And it brings us back to this conversation about how we view rom-coms and whether we take them seriously enough. We don't. Um, and I'm not looking at $150 million being like, that's a, a bargain, an absolute bargain, Netflix. Why would you not? And especially going into this streaming era where we've kind of entered this, not lawless land, but I suppose we're leaving the lawless land in which streamers were just making loads of things for loads of money. And it was like money was no object because it was the new cool thing. And now it's like we have all of this content. Is any of it really making money? I get it, but put some respect on Nancy, Nancy Meyer's name. All right. The holiday, the holiday alone, Father of the Bride, the parent trap, you would have gotten every single dollar back in terms of production because it's what she's known for, like the set design. I, I'm, I'm furious. I'm furious. And especially when you consider the story of the movie as well, like, wait till I tell you this now. So, the film would have centred on a young writer-director who falls in love with the producer. The pair makes several su- successful films, that's a hard word to say, before breaking up both romantically and professionally. They are forced back together when a new great project arises and they find themselves having to deal with high stakes and volatile stars. And it has parallels with Meyer's own life because uh, she was with Charles Shire for a long time. And they worked on movies like Private Benjamin, Baby Boom, The Parent Trap, Father of the Bride movies I already mentioned. And then when they split, she went on to do What Women Want. Incredible. You cannot say a single thing to me about that movie. Something's Gotta Give and The Holiday, again, as previously mentioned. I don't know, like, I've seen streamers throw money at stupider shit, you know what I mean? Like, maybe anything that Noah Centineo has ever made, bar to all the boys. Like, And I know Netflix already work on a lot of projects that are already very expensive. So you look at like the likes of a Stranger Things, right? I get it. A lot of money to make those, the the demigorgons beaten, you know? And same with Bridgerton, costume design, that season, that series, that show's getting bigger and bigger, star power, whatever, you know, and they're doing about 800 spinoffs. I get it. But you can't tell me that they didn't have the money for this, but they did have the money for like, the stupid shit they do, like that perfect match show where they just got like 800 other ex-Netflix love reality show stars to come back and be like, fall in love with each other now or else. You know, I know you weren't paying them that much. You know, I just, 
I find it hard to believe. And especially when they're on their crackdown of like password sharing and, you know, the accounts are getting more expensive. And if you want to have multiple account, uh, names attached to an account, all I'm saying is if I could, if I had $150 million, I would be, I'd be giving it to Nancy Myers, and she wouldn't have to make a movie or anything. Just, just give it to her, you know, give her the world. Give her the world. That's what I say. Uh, honorary flop this week, I should say as well. And sorry, perpetual flop. Gwyneth Paltrow talking about bone broth. Give me a break. I don't do what do what you want in the sanctity of your own rich prison. Drink your bone juice. You don't need to tell us about it. Nobody cares. Glorifying horrible eating patterns and making it seem like it's normal and it's funny and it's kooky and it's quirky because she's talking about selling eggs that are made of marble that you put up your wherever. Perpetual flat behaviour. Netflix, Gwyneth Paltrow. Hard looks in the mirror are required. That's what I'd prescribe to you if I was a doctor or a pharmacist, but I'm not. So, there. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts to get a personalised bop or flap recommendation. Uh, that is where I would recommend something to you personally to watch, listen to, or eat perhaps. It won't be bone broth, I promise. All you have to do is leave your nickname. That's it. I'll see it then and I'll mention it at the, at the end of the next episode. So there you go. If you've been looking for something, some more culture to ingest, I'm here for you, but I just need some gorgeous five stars in exchange. I receive five stars. You receive a gorgeous recommendation for something. And you can also leave a five-star review on Spotify. It helps people find the show. It's hugely appreciated by me. And it's a nice thing to do, I think, ahead of the long weekend or just ever, depending on when you're listening to this. This podcast has been edited by Adam Shanahan. Artwork is, as always, by Brian Lambert. I will see you next time. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.